somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. The world of darkness. Nobody expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. Now, I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! The one hope. The only hope. The Exorcist. podcast where I put my movie knowledge to the test. Every week I invite a guest on to talk about their favorite movie, and based on what they pick I suggest something that they've never seen. In the end we see if my recommendation was successful. This is the fourth and final episode of the October Horror miniseries, and therefore I wanted to talk about The Exorcist, the movie that is widely considered the greatest horror movie of all time. Originally I did have a guest, uh, my friend Tia Chisholm, who was previously on to talk about documentaries, had never seen The Exorcist, and so she agreed to come on. However, and this was bound to happen eventually, I forgot to record the episode. So we talked for, I don't know, the better part of an hour, the ins and outs of the movies, the things that we love about it, the things that, you know, maybe made us laugh a little bit, but... uh I couldn't possibly have taken up any more of her time. So instead, you're getting just me today, which I know is a terrible trade-off, but that's where we are. So like I said, she had never seen The Exorcist, uh, despite being a big horror fan. Uh, So it was sort of a perfect opportunity to get her to watch the movie and then come on and, and talk about all the things that we think make it great. Uh, We talked for a while, and um, I'm paraphrasing here, but Tia did say that the movie scared her more than a few times. It holds up really, really well, and she loved the slow burn nature of the first half, and that it was the greatest movie that she had ever seen. Okay, she might not have said the last part, but everything else was true. So let's dive in. Let's try and unpack why The Exorcist can still get the reaction that it gets nearly 50 years after it was originally released. As a plot description for anyone who hasn't seen The Exorcist or or doesn't really know what the story is, it follows Ellen Burstyn's character named Chris. She is a single mom and, you know, presented as a very successful and famous actress. And she's in Georgetown making a movie. So while she's making this movie, she's living in a rented house uh, with her support staff and her young daughter named Reagan, who is played by Linda Blair. 
Reagan finds a Ouija board in the house and starts playing with it, eventually contacting an entity that she calls Captain Howdy. However, Reagan quickly goes from this sort of sweet and innocent young girl to a very foul-mouthed nightmare, and Chris becomes increasingly desperate to try and understand what has brought this change uh, in, in her, you know, loving daughter. So Reagan goes through a series of medical tests, which, as I get older, have become the scariest segments of the movie for me, but uh, they ultimately end in failure. At the end of a rope, Chris reaches out to a local priest, and they start the process of seeking approval from the church to perform an exorcism. Now, if anyone decides this weekend is the perfect time to, you know, finally watch The Exorcist for the first time, or, you know, go back to it for, if you haven't seen it in many, many years, I should warn you about the very opening of the movie, uh, because I bet many people who have seen the movie will forget that The Exorcist actually begins with about a 10 or 15 minute segment about an elderly priest at an archaeological dig in Iraq. So this priest is Father Marin, who will eventually become the titular exorcist, but it certainly is an odd way for a horror movie to begin. Tia actually thought that she had clicked onto the, the wrong version of the movie. You know, there are, there are a few sequels and prequels. Um, and she thought that she had clicked on the wrong one at first because when she started the movie and we opened up in Iraq, she was just a little confused, which I'm sure many people will be if they decide to watch this movie. And so I guess the question is sort of like, why start the movie like this? My explanation to Tia and sort of the way that I can figure it in my own head is that it obviously introduces us to Father Marin, like I said. Uh, we don't see him again for you know, all, I would say 90 minutes at the, at the very minimum. Uh, so it's just a good way of setting up, uh, his character. Uh, we get a little bit of an introduction to him. We get a little bit of understanding of who he is so that when he eventually pops up later on in the movie, we say, we can sort of say, Oh, that's the guy from the opening. We get it. Okay. Going, moving forward. And in the segment, he comes across the eventual evil that will possess Reagan later on. So the opening scene really establishes this duality and the eventual fight between good and evil that the, you know, the movie makes its way towards in the, in the second half and towards the end, for sure. There is a famous shot of Father Marin sort of staring down a life-size statue of Pazuzu, who is the demon who will eventually wreak a lot, a lot of havoc later on. Um, in this shot, it's like two boxers sort of sizing each other up. Father Marin is now exposed to this great evil and he knows that he's going to have to play a part in it and, and this great fight. And so it's it's just, it's a wonderful shot. It's, it's really, really well framed by William Friedkin, the director. And it, I think it is just like a really nice way to sort of set the table for everything that the movie is going to explore and, and unpack going forward. Like we get the religious stuff we get the evil uh so you know those are two of the bigger themes in this movie and so this this opening segment really does sort of prime 
the audience for, okay, this is these are things that we're going to be looking at. But it also, it just sort of hints at this sense that the, the this evil spans the entire globe, right? And so as the movie goes forward, most of the action and most of the, the movie takes place in one preteen's bedroom. And so the fact that we get this opening in Iraq, it just opens things up a little bit. It sort of says like, you know, this this evil is everywhere. It's not only confined to this one small space in this in this one person's house. So I guess like what makes The Exorcist still so scary? And like, of course, it's tough to say. And me listing out just a bunch of scenes isn't really going to convey anything or convince anyone. There is the theme of parents trying to protect their children and being helpless and unable to do so that I think will certainly resonate with people. Um, However, one thing that kept coming up in my conversation with Tia is that there are, of course, a number of moments in The Exorcist that have been parodied and referenced and redone and whatever else throughout pop culture. I'm thinking specifically of like the head turning, of the vomiting, of some of the lines of dialogue. And like these moments probably don't carry a lot of weight anymore. Um, Even for people who haven't seen the movie, I would imagine anyways, because they've, they've definitely just seen them in pop culture you've you've been exposed to these moments before so when they do pop up in this movie i i feel like the impact is probably lessened in some way um and so the the example that t and i talked about on in our unrecorded episode was alfred hitchcock's psycho and i just have very very vivid memories of watching Psycho for the first time when I was probably 18 or 19 and just thinking like I can appreciate how good this movie is and how well everything is put together but all of the moments that are supposed to be scary or supposed to sort of make my the the hairs on my neck stand up or anything like that I just remember thinking like well I've seen them a hundred times in a hundred different other places and so I didn't really get that sense that uh, the movie was probably trying to get me to, you know, I, I wasn't feeling scared. I wasn't feeling anxious or anything like that. And, you know, it did unfortunately sort of lessen the movie for me for a time. And so I do wonder if The Exorcist, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie and they go to watch it now, I, I do wonder if those these moments that I'm talking about will have the exact same effect the difference i think with the exorcist is there are a ton of moments throughout the movie that pop culture hasn't really been able to grab onto yet and those moments are just as shocking if not more so than the head turning many of these do involve reagan and you do have to remind yourself that this is supposed to be a very young girl and Linda Blair was a very young woman when she made this movie. So there is the added level of seeing a child subjected to sort of such unspeakable evil um, that I think is just 
it still resonates. It's it's still going to have an impact and it's still taboo today, like even today. So not many movies would have such a young child be the center of a demonic possession movie in the way that The Exorcist puts Linda Blair. Um, you know, the things that she says and does while under the influence of this demon are like, they're just eye-opening. Her performance in many ways is perhaps the greatest child performance in any movie ever. She gets you to instantly care about her so much when she is this sweet, innocent version of herself that you are so concerned by how this will end as she gets more and more lost and Pazuzu, the demon, takes more and more control of her. Like You do sort of continually have the thought of like, this can't possibly end well. I don't want to get into too many sort of explicit details because I think everyone probably should just watch the movie. But I can say that, you know, like I was saying, if 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 you think the head turning is what you, if, if that's what you imagine sort of the peak scary moment of this movie to be, then like you're just in for a lot of wonderful surprises. So I did talk about the medical tests in the plot description and how they've become the scariest part for me now every time I watch this movie that is the those are the moments where I find myself getting sort of the most worked up and I think that just comes down to how real they feel and they feel real because apparently they just were so William Friedkin the director is famed for the lengths he will go to to ensure the authenticity in of his movies in his movies even to the point of endangering you know his cast and his crew which i will get to eventually but in many of these scenes where reagan undergoes medical tests to try and figure out psychologically what is wrong with her and why her personality has changed so dramatically freaking films all of the medical machines just matter-of-factly like the sounds are deafening. Linda Blair is strapped to the table. Uh, she does a wonderful job of acting distressed, although I'm not exactly sure how much she's actually acting in these in these scenes. There uh, is an actual angiography procedure on camera that Blair did do. She goes through it for real. Uh, and, you know, there are many, many medical professionals who have said that this is the most accurate depiction of this procedure ever on camera, but also that it was completely unnecessary for the purpose of this movie. So those are those are sort of some of the things that you 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 will witness in this movie. And it'll you know if if you weren't worried or scared about hospitals before, uh, this this movie could certainly push you over the edge. But it is in these scenes that I find Ellen Burstyn really gets to cook. And so she is so desperate uh, to fix her daughter. And like Burstyn just plays this perfectly. I think the very real emotional performance uh, from her goes a really long way of heightening the horror of the movie because we just we we sympathize with her. We we completely understand uh, the frustrations that you would go through um, and like the way that she sort of deflates every single time 
the doctors tell her the last test didn't work uh, and that they need to try something different. You can just see it in her whole body language. She just literally deflates and she gets angrier and she starts to throw more and more money at it because that's what she thinks will will help out. But it is all just like desperate, desperate attempts at, at trying to figure out anything that's wrong with with her daughter and why she's acting the way she's acting. And all of this is before the possession and exorcism stuff like really starts to kick in. And so you're just so primed for the supernatural at this point because you've gone through the ringer with Chris and Reagan. The exorcism is an absolute last resort. And if this doesn't work, Reagan is likely gone forever. And, you know, that is hanging over the head of this movie and, and these scenes at all times. So, uh, Freakin, William Freakin, uh, his direction of this movie sort of cannot be understated. The Exorcist was the first horror movie to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It was one of 10 total nominations and it would eventually win two of the awards. And I only bring up the Oscars in order to put this into context because if you think the Academy sort of looks down its nose at horror movies now, that feeling was only exacerbated in 1973 when The Exorcist was first released. The fact that The Exorcist was met with sort of such universal praise and celebration immediately is just a reflection of what Freakin was able to achieve. And you add in sort of the production issues that the movie went through, um, some of which I will get into now in a minute, uh, but there was also a real lack of support from uh, and belief from the studio itself and it's kind of a minor miracle that the movie turned out to be good let alone as great as it is and i think a lot of that you know certainly comes down to william freakin himself obviously blatty the author of the book deserves some praise you know that's your your basic blueprint of the story there but i think we we've all seen great books turned into mediocre or bad movies and so when you get one that works at this level you know the the director gets a lot of the praise for that however the conversation around freaking uh and this movie certainly needs to include the more unsavory aspects of his style and of you know just filmmaking in this period in general there are numerous stories about the manipulation and straight up endangering situations that he would put his cast and crew in in order to get a shot or a reaction that he wanted. I believe uh, both Ellen Burstyn and Linda Blair suffered lifelong injuries that they are still dealing with because Freakin had them do something that was unsafe or he, he would take uh, a stunt that was going to be performed that they knew was safe and he would make it unsafe. So yeah, like while I deeply, deeply, deeply love this movie and genuinely wouldn't change a thing about it, there is always a little voice in the back of my head that has this running list of all the things freaking did that are just straight up unacceptable. I will pass the question on to you, anyone who's listening. You know, does 
the means justify the ends. You know, he has made a brilliant movie that will stand the test of time. You know, that is not up for debate. That is not up for question. But could that still have been achieved without all of the, you know, extra things that he put these people through? I tend to think that he probably still could have gotten there in the end, but you know, who who knows? I'll pass that off to you. Let me know what you, what you think. Uh, reach out. Let me know what you think about freaking and you know manipulating people or, or things like that. But yeah, it is it is one part of the movie that you know does not hold up all that well. Another aspect that makes The Exorcist, I think, just so fantastic is that there is a real sort of murder mystery subplot at the center of the story and so this weaves itself sort of in and out and i find that it really just grounds the supernatural and so it it makes the outrageous things that eventually happen it makes them feel a little bit more plausible because the world in which this movie operates feels like our world it feels real and so i I think that the two sort of the the possession story and the murder mystery story they just work hand in hand and until the movie is ready to go 100% with the possession storyline it is the murder mystery that more or less pushes the movie forward gives it the momentum gives us the feeling of like you know we're we're moving on here uh the detective in this storyline is a little strange and might feel a little out of place in sort of the grander scheme of things. This was uh, a point that T and I did talk about where, you know, he, he is just so desperate for, I don't, I don't even know if it's attention, but he's just, he's just desperate. I think for some sort of connection with people, like we don't really get to know him that well. Uh, there is a very awkward scene where he asks Chris for her autograph. Uh, and then there are sort of even more awkward scenes uh, with him where he continually asks people to go to the movies with him. He he always seems to have tickets to the movies and nobody seems to want to go with him. So I do think, you know, this side of the, this side of the story gradually sort of guides you into this world and, and primes you for where things are going to go. But it is also, you know, perhaps a little bit unintentionally funny at times. But once we get to the actual exorcism, which is really only about the last 30 minutes, there has been sort of so much groundwork laid to establish this movie in a reality. Even so far as down to including the the Catholic Church does their own investigation into Reagan to make sure that this case meets the requirements for an exorcism because we hear in the movie there have been cases before where an exorcism was performed and it goes horribly wrong because there wasn't need for it and you know this this can have psychological issues and and you know things like that for the priests and for the people the subjects and so there 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 is there is obviously some research done to make this story as real as it possibly can feel. And I think you just, you know, once you get to that point of the movie, you just sort of take the movie at face value. You just accept 
that this you just accept that this feels real because it probably it like it could be real the, these are all the real steps that would be taken if this was actually happening and so they're just presenting you all of this stuff on screen and so even as things get wild and get crazy in the last half an hour i think by that stage you're already with it you're already in the movie you're you're with the movie you're not questioning things anymore and i think that's why it's so effective in the very end is because you know it's it's done the work a lesser movie would not have done any of this stuff and would be all too eager to get to the ending to get to the show-stopping set pieces of the exorcism that you would just sort of i don't know i think i feel like you'd be tuned out i feel like i've seen that movie a hundred times and i've always been tuned out so i think I, I just sort of i can't praise the movie enough for all the work that it does to sort of ground itself in a reality even though it is a supernatural movie about a demon possession the idea of a movie being cursed is certainly not a new one and you know even sometimes forms the basis of the marketing campaigns but the exorcist does have its own sort of twisted history that you know while i wouldn't say makes the movie itself any scarier it does give it maybe a little bit something extra just to consider just to you know keep in the back of your mind as you're watching the movie the first major incident that occurred was a fire destroying all of the sets that would make up the house that the movie takes place in with the very notable exception of reagan's bedroom which was completely untouched by the fire and so yeah i don't want to put it out there but demons like i said earlier both ellen burston and linda blair suffered lifelong injuries uh, many in the cast did as well. There were fingers and toes cut off. It's not a great sight, but you know maybe health and safety in 1973 isn't what it was today. But again, I'm I'm going to assume demons. There are a number of deaths among people associated with the movie, uh, and when I say a number of deaths, I don't mean you know in the preceding 50 years i mean exactly when this movie was being filmed the most notable name that you know unfortunately falls into this category is jack mcgowan who died just a week after finishing his scenes for the movie uh so you know again who knows and while it certainly doesn't fall into your sort of typical curse storylines for a movie the exorcist does have a genuine murderer present on screen for a very short time paul bateson who was a real radiological technician and can be seen in the movie prepping reagan for the angiography scene you know he has a couple lines of dialogue uh very very briefly but he is there he is in all the cuts that i've ever seen he was convicted of murder in 1979 and is suspected of being a serial killer who worked in the gay community of New York and, and would target uh, gay men. 
and actually became the, um, I don't want to say the basis, but became maybe the central idea of another William Friedkin movie called Cruising, which stars Al Pacino, where Al Pacino plays a New York police officer who goes undercover in the gay community of New York in order to lure out this serial killer. So Bateson was never convicted of any of these murders, but at the time, and I think still today, he is sort of suspect number one. Uh, They just could not tie any evidence to him whatsoever. So yeah, Paul Bateson in the movie. So I guess the last real question is sort of just like, why does The Exorcist endure? Why is its reputation still so great? And the easy answer is, you know, not very many movies, especially horror movies, even come close to the level of filmmaking of The Exorcist. Like, there are, of course, other classic horror movies. You know, you've got The Shining or Texas Chainsaw Massacre or even the original Halloween that are certainly in the top tier of not only scary movies, but just genuinely great movies. However, I, th- I think you could, and I know some people who would and have made the argument that The Exorcist is just the greatest movie ever made full stop. And honestly, I couldn't really argue with them. Uh, I certainly have questions and concerns about the manner in which the movie was made, but there's no arguing with the result. The Exorcist is not my favorite horror movie, or even one that I go back to all that often, to be honest. But every time I do, I am pretty consistently blown away by Freakin and Burstyn and Blair and all of the other cast and crew members and just like what they were able to achieve and put together. This has been pretty firmly planted at the top of the horror charts for half a century at this point, And I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. T and I did briefly talk about, are there more modern movies that come close to The Exorcist in terms of, in, in just in terms of its filmmaking, not necessarily in terms of its scares, because obviously what is scary is a bit more su- subjective to each individual person. But I genuinely could not think of a movie from the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years that is as well put together as The Exorcist. There are genuinely no wasted scenes. There are no wasted lines of dialogue. Some of the shots and the framing from Freakin is just incredible. And there's just not this level of craft put into horror movies sort of anymore. The, there are obviously great, great horror directors who continually work in the genre, continually push things forward, you know, get me very excited to go see these movies. But it does feel like the the great, great, great filmmakers either start in horror and then move on, or, you know, they, they make one or two horror movies throughout their career, but it, it's never the sort of main focus. And it, and it certainly wasn't for William Freakin either. Like he, he would go on to make many, many different things. And this is sort of an, an outlier in his filmography. But I think you just cannot argue with 
the level of talent that was obviously put in this movie, um, much to the chagrin of the studio at times. So that's it. That's the end of the horror miniseries. Hopefully you've discovered something new to watch this Halloween. Uh, I'm going to try and get this this out on, on Friday so that gives people the whole weekend to hopefully load up on a, a few scary movies. And, you know, if you're having a, a Halloween party or whatnot, then you could do a lot worse than having The Exorcist on in the background or Scream or Hereditary or any of the other movies that we talked about this month. So thank you very, very much for listening and indulging me while I explore this genre of movie, which, uh, you know, I've loved for a very long time, but uh, I've sort of dove into very hard and, uh, and deeply this month. And I think I'm up to about 45 scary movies this month that I've watched. And honestly, it's, it's, I was talking to a couple of friends the other night and I was sort of saying like the, the late night walks that I normally enjoy have certainly taken on a, a more sinister feeling <laughs> in the last few weeks. Uh, so I will be happy to give the horror movies a, a bit of a break for the next little while. So I will be back on Wednesday uh, with a just a, a regular old movie. And so I will see everybody then. 